Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Hello and welcome to the No Ratings Podcast. We are in for a wild episode. Scraps everywhere, beef everywhere, purses and handbags absolutely everywhere this weekend. We've also got two newbies and our first official guest is going to be joining us as well. But as always, we're going to have an initiation with the newbies. We've got Sakib, we've got Shams. Sakib, you get to lead the way. Now, there's only one rule with the intros, two actually. Don't take forever and tell us a fun fact about yourself. Take the floor, my friend. Hello, my name is Sarkib. I currently work at UK music platform GRM Daily and have a keen interest in football, which is why I'm here. My fun fact is I once went on Soccer AM, wearing this top actually, about 18 months ago, and I won £400 when answering the questions and had Jimmy Bullard saying, get him on the chase. Such was my football trivia knowledge. For whatever reason, I don't believe you. I'm gonna I'm gonna call a lie. It's on, on YouTube. It's on YouTube, by the way. All right. all right, we'll find that clip and hopefully we'll play a bit of the audio in here, or I'll spread it all over the internet that you're a liar to all the followers I have out there. Uh, Shams, the floor is yours. I just want to say for those that can't see and you just listen to the pod, Shams has gone full on into Milan. He's not only gotten into shirt, he's gotten into pillow, and he's probably going to tell us something about Inter as well. Yeah, no, thank you for having me on. I'm Uncle Sharma. I make content around Inter Milan and Serie A. Uh, Catch me on YouTube. And fun fact about me is that I grew up in Italy, so I can speak Italian. And the reason why I support, you know, Inter is R9 right here, repping him right now. I want to hear a bit about Italian, just because my trust issues are all over the place at the moment. 
Ciao, come stai? Call me a waste man. Get out of here. I don't like. I don't <laughs> like this Italian. <laughs> uh, just quickly, Liz, you're gonna have to hop out, hop back in. I told you, Liz, Liz, the curse continues. Um, I will roll on with the pod. Once you hop back in, you'll be absolutely fine. He's the McTominay of the pod. <laughs> <laughs> yes, love it. Well, we are going to talk about McTominay because there is simply only one place to start. Manchester United and the chaos of this weekend, the chaos of uh, what this club has become. And um, we're also going to be joined by our first guest, who is actually the host of the Trojan Horse podcast and an avid United fan. One thing I will say is you need to go and listen to the Trojan Horse podcast. I'm not just saying it because he's hopping on the pod for free. I'm definitely saying it for that because he's low-key famous now. But before we jump into that, pause, follow, drop five stars, turn your volume up. This is going to get rowdy and I will tell you exactly why. Because after United lost 4-0 to Brentford at 7.28, which is really, I think... I think it might have even been half-time. I received a message from Hamza, who, by the way, I've never met. We've only ever spoke over Twitter. Get me on your podcast. I'm fuming. Hamza, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing, mate? How are you? That wasn't my finest moment. <laughs> <laughs> it, was like, it was like receiving a drunk text. Not that I've ever received one of those. Keep it you know hard. the worst thing about it, mate? <laughs> you know the worst thing about it is... Um... The fact that I didn't even wait till 90 minutes to text you, that, that's indicative of something. It's not even that I was like, it's, it's, it's too soon at half time to text you this. Like, I knew what was going to happen. Um, and I think that speaks volumes to where Man United are at the moment. Well, we, we do actually have two United fans in here. Apologies to Leas for not introducing him at the top of the pod because he is the curse. He's the McTominay of the pod. Whenever he hops on, <laughs> bad things happen. Uh, so he's got a fresh trim. He's wearing his PSG shirt because I will reveal... Off air, he said it was either this or United, and he's packed PSG for the day. <laughs> um, Hamza, we're going to come to you because be, purely because of how angry you were that day. Manchester United, what is going on? I mean, you tell me, mate. Like, I mean, I think, listen, we've got to a point now, and I'm going to begin on a hopeful note. We've got to a point now where I see people coalescing around this idea that, like, changing a manager is not going to help. Um, Several transfer windows, to be honest, are not going to help this team right now. Uh, everything that is happening with Man United is happening at the board level and at the ownership level. And I am seeing that repeated over and over again by all factions. And that's it. Like, if you want, if you want me to point out what has happened at this club, this club has been captured. It's been captured by people who couldn't care less about it, but recognize its full financial potential. Um, have milked its full financial potential for as long as they possibly could have. And I think I reached a point where um, I don't know what their game plan is beyond this. That European Super League, I think, was the long-term vision for where this was, this was going, where this model was going. Don't worry about the performance on the pitch. Just keep trying to get the finances of the club in a way that you can just keep milking it and keep paying off your debts, keep paying off your businesses and uh, enjoying the, you know, the kudos of owning Manchester United. Well, that's gone now. Sorry. I was going to say, sorry to interrupt. I was going to ask, is that a new feeling? Is that something you had with Moyes, Mourinho, Van Gaal, or was it manager, 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 manager? Actually, it must be owner. Or have you always felt this way or recently? To be honest, I mean, the, the, the animosity to the owners begun before they even took over Man United. That's not been a new feeling. Um, I think it's mattered more and more because of the absolute like disarray of the club. Um, whereas I think at some point, maybe even like eight, nine years ago, they were better at hiding that or pretending it was, it was um, issues outside of the club or it was a manager. I mean, listen, if you point to David Moyes and say, 
we messed up because he's in charge. I will believe you. It's David Moyes. You know, if you point to Van Gaal and say we messed up because he's in charge, I still might believe you as a new manager. Who knows? But it's getting to the point now where we're starting to understand that like this has got nothing to do with the manager. And the players, I know you can keep pointing to the players as we all do, but like the reality is those players are in Man United shirts because of what's going on at the board level. You know, it has to start up there. And I think nowadays it's got to the point where it's you can't hide it anymore. Like it's such an embarrassment. It's so brazen how little they know about football that I think that's what's happening now is we've hit the point where everyone is looking up there at where their concern is and realizing how little they have sway on it at the moment. You know, those people seem to be sat there without shame at the moment. Um, Don't you think that this is, I'm not a United fan, so I'm asking in terms of, don't you think it's still that that can exist and that can be true, but you can also not spend 60 million on a centre back that's not that good, it looks like, or back in the day, 60 million on De Maria or Falcao's wages. Or Don't you think they can still, you can make better footballing decisions and have rubbish owners or they have to go for the footballing decisions? I, no, to I, get I, I agree. Listen, for, for me, for me, you could have, you could just about maybe, maybe get away with having owners as disinterested and disengaged as the Glazers if they offloaded the responsibility and the decision-making to people who weren't bankers, who didn't come from PricewaterhouseCoopers, who weren't accountants. Like, uh, what, what right did they have to be involved with any footballing decisions, you know? Like, unless you remove that clutter, would you, you know, good luck with you because I think, like, the, the, the Glazers come with that clutter. I don't think like the Glazers uh, on its own. Um, like for me, I, I, I would struggle to imagine a business person um, being happy with letting a business ruin it and fall into disrepair because ultimately they bought a club which they wanted money out of. And the more money they're going to get out of it is by the more success we get on the pitch. The issue is it's bankers who bought them into the situation. And in order for them to figure the situation out now, they have to get involved with the club in a way that I don't think they ever imagined they had to. You know, like the Glazers, if you look at their reputation on, on both sides of the um, Atlantic, when Malcolm Glazer died, there were people were mourning that in Tampa. You know, mm. there was flags at half mast like they cared about that detail over there. Whereas in Manchester, you think anyone cared that Malcolm Glazer died or his kids were taken over? Like it really wasn't an issue for us. Like these Glazers, since they've come in, they've been a poison to United. We weren't going to be um, having the flags at half mast or fans, you know, uh, falling silent halfway through the game in honor of the man. That indicates for me the difference in approaches to their mentality. They like the Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay <clears throat> Buccaneers. They like NFL football. They will make sporting decisions for that team. And if you look at, again, the level of fan engagement over there, you know, read up about how many different organizations and fan initiatives and you know, the level of access they allow uh, fans into that club. Compare that to Man United. Compare that to how little they've turned up to games, made themselves available to fans. Like, they don't care about that sport or that team. They were promised by a bunch of bankers that you could maximize more profit in that club than they were currently operating at. And you can keep that going because of Brand United, which they said fine to. Now we got to the point where the bankers have realized, oh, shit, this is a football team. Like, mm. you need to make footballing decisions. And it actually does matter if our performance is lacking on the pitch. But they don't know how to figure that out. And the Glazers don't want to get involved in sorting that out. I, I, I'm going to come back to a point you made earlier about players because I love this point and I've been debating it all week. But just quickly, Liz, you were nodding practically to everything Hamza said. I'm guessing you agree with this from top to bottom. 
I think if you're a Manchester United fan and you disagree with anything that Hamza just said, you're being disingenuous or you just haven't been paying enough attention. He's absolutely spot on. For as much as people can talk about the players, which for me, in my opinion, this core of, of Manchester United players have shown time and time again, they're not up to the level. That's indisputable. Whatever you want to say about previous managers, me personally, I wasn't a huge fan of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Ralph Ranić, people have their own opinion on him. Jose Mourinho's tenure at the club, they have their own opinion on that. But regardless, every Man United fan can agree that the root of the problem comes in the weeds. And the weeds are, are the ownership. It's the, the constant since they came into this club. And when they came into this club, of course, like Hamza just said, the, the main focus for them was, okay, we're going to unload all our debt that we, we took on onto this club. We're not going to invest any of our own personal money. We'll just basically bank off the profit, the sheer amount of profit and revenue that this club generates itself. And we have the greatest manager of all time that can basically hide any decision we make because he can make wine out of sewage water. We can sell Cristiano Ronaldo for 80 million pounds and give this guy 5 million pounds to go buy Gabriel Obertan. And he'll still finish second in the league, two points behind first. Now they don't have that safety blanket. He's been gone for 10 years. David Gill, who, who worked side by side with him, is gone for 10 years. And again, no matter if you like the players or not, no matter if you like the manager or not, the results are the same and you have to look at the one constant. So I, I, I look a lot at the pundits on television that go against Gary Neville when he talks about the Glazers and they say, oh, but forget about the Glazers. They spent this much money. They spent this much money. To look at the problems at Man United and not acknowledge that 99% of them come from the way the club is run at executive level is, it's ridiculous. Uh, I mean, that's something, uh, sorry, no, but I was going to ask you, that's something I wanted you to explain because I know you rolled in this punditry class, right? The pundits who say, <clears throat> no, the pundits who say, oh, the club spent almost X amount of millions and have spent more than this and that. Is that not an indication then? Are you not making the same argument that these owners and this board are not fit for purpose? Like, I don't, like the fact that they've spent that much million and the fact that the players are so terrible, the fact that the team is so is doing so poorly, is that not an indication that the right people are not in charge? They don't know how to spend the money. It's, it's incompetence. It's embarrassment. So why did the pundits people focus their energy at this level? And why do they still believe that this 11, these players are capable of more than what they keep showing you? There's two sides to this, right? The first side is, one, pundits get paid to make points that will get people talking. So the reason you guys are talking about it, you're frustrated about it, is because there is a pundit out there who will have said something that is against what you guys are arguing in favor of. Um, and that's the first part. And I think... We've, it's, we've fallen for the Jamie Redknapp trap, is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I cannot bait out anyone who works for my employers, but... That's true. But I think, look, the thing is, there's that side. The other side of it is, annoyingly, there is ever so slight evidence that United can perform with these players. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer took this team to second. And unfortunately, that is always the very annoying... Go on, go on. I just, you know, listen, I bet you, you stick me in a team of Valemo without any fans, right? Without any, like, you know, pressure where every time I miscontrol, someone goes boo or whatever. I bet you I can get you to second. You know what I mean? Like, don't give me this one-off season where COVID and player health and no fans and in under those circumstances with Liverpool having significant injuries, City, etc. Don't give me that. Even then, we didn't Hamza. win the league. We didn't win the league ha in the season. Uh -huh. Everyone, everyone that season, and this isn't to just, I don't want to stick too much on this point, but everyone that season knew that Man United finished the season second place, but were not the second best, mm. the second best team in the country. Every single person, no matter who you supported, knew that. 
The problem is that the Glazers, and, and again, this goes back to the Glazers. They've looked at four months of the 1920 season and 2021 season and are banking, no pun intended, that this core of Manchester United players are an accurate representation of that year and not last season. They're banking on it because they know that if, if what they believe isn't true, they will have to replace the entire team. And they don't want to spend that kind of money. When Ralph Raniuk opened his mouth and said that this team needs open heart surgery and needs 10 signings, that's the minute they distanced distance themselves away from him. That's the minute they, they decided we don't want anything to do with this guy. So every single decision, no matter how much money they spend, comes from a financial point of view, comes from an, a financial ambition and not a footballing ambition. And, I mean, and that's the biggest know. problem at United. What I would love to know is, sorry, man, I know I'm ranting and raving, but you can just mute me at some point. What I'd love to know, what I'd love to know is, um, who's even giving the Glazers these briefings? Because if it's the same bankers who pointed out these players and said, there's a, there's a good character, there's a good person, let's buy him for 80 million. You think they're going to go to Tampa and say, okay, so here's what's happened. That player that I said to you, like spent 80 million on is terrible, right? Give me a hundred more million so I can go uh, fix what I did. Uh, or are they going to go, that player is brilliant. Look at the, st- look at the stats, like, you know, a spreadsheet, uh, you know, uh, whatever. Um, Excel document, that's how bankers roll, right? Here's the statistics. This player was brilliant, but this manager is awful. And that's what's happened. Replace the manager, bring someone else in. Like, they're not around enough to even understand the level of rot and destruction at Man United. They're so removed. They're so far from this. All they look at is profits, profits, profits. And the bankers who keep saying we're spending well because here's the profits. Um, I think... I think from what I've read, don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure Ed Woodward was fantastic at the commercial side of things. I think Man United were far exceeding what they yes. should be, and that's why he was still retained. So maybe it is a sporting director you're missing, a good sporting director. Ed, Ed Woodward helped broker the deal for the Glazers to exactly. buy Manchester United. Exactly. He was their right-hand man. That's the only reason that a guy like that was kept in and around the club for over a decade. Because from a footballing point of view, the guy's a failure. He's it's malpractice at its finest. But not even, not even not even in like a, not even in the sense that you can go, oh, Edward Edward was a failure, and um, you know that's surprising. He's an accountant. He's a banker. He spoke to some billionaires in America, and he said, hey, there's a there's a commercial property that you could buy that I think I could get more leverage from commercially. I could sign a lot more deals and make you a lot more money that would help with all your other uh, business and finances. They've said that's a good idea. Why don't you become in charge of it too? He said, cool. That did not mean, Ed, now you start doing a transfer policy, a football strategy. What the fuck do you know about any of this? Sorry for swearing. You know what I mean? Like at that point, you have to do a bit of a delegation. Ed, you're in charge of commercials. Keep doing what you're doing. Bring in a football man. You don't have... I can draw a lot of parallels with, it, with Inter on this because at the moment, <clears throat> if you're on Inter Twitter or you know, you know what's going on at Inter, our owners are very disliked at the moment. They're Chinese owners. They're called Suning. But the fact that we... When they first came in, they know they, they know nothing about football. This was the first football enterprise. They said, who's the best man in Italian football to give this project to? They gave it to Beppe Marotta, who was the guy who rebuilt Juventus. And right now, Inter, if you guys see, and like all the signings that we've made recently, last two seasons, is just like loans and just kind of like scraps here and there. But I know that as long as we've got Beppe Marotta in charge, you still got a two-year contract. Um, I just, yeah, like you can just entrust the whole future of the club with someone like that. As you said, Woodward, well, who's he in this game? You know, Darren Fletcher, who's he in this game? John Murta, who's he in this game? Like, they haven't recruited the right people to lead 
this club was supposed to be the they, biggest they club had in the world. one guy they had one guy that they brought in and the whole fan base for about six months was actually optimistic for once Ralph and that's Ralph Rennick yeah. and again I don't care how yeah. many people go back to whether he won a game against Leeds United or he won a game against I don't even know bottom of the league he was brought in to be at the end of the season a consultant at board level because he has more expertise in rebuilding a football club and recruiting Didn't talent Hag not want parts him. of the world that United has no idea about. More, ta- more expertise and knowledge than any single person at board level. But again, the minute he opened his mouth and said, we're going to need 10 signings, it's probably going to cost us 200 million pounds to rebuild this squad. We're actually good. We're actually going to just trust Luke Shaw to rediscover that form from three years ago. The thing is, right? The thing is, to what you just said there, Lee, is... There's an argument to say that that is what happened. There's also a counter-argument to say that Ten Hag didn't want Ralph Rangnick because he wants to control things. The other side to this is the people at Manchester United decided to bring Ralph Rangnick in so that they would... Like, to misprofile someone that badly is very glazers. However, to not know that they were bringing a man in to repair the football club, it's impossible for anyone with a brain to, to not know that that is exactly what was going to happen. In that sense, I actually think whoever made that decision at United initially made the right choice. However, the problem for Manchester United is it's a very commercial club. So the second Ralph Ranić says something that could potentially be perceived negative, you've got sponsors who are going to turn around and say, we're not too interested in uh, sponsoring or working with Manchester United. I'm going to come full circle, Hamza, back to this point about players. I completely hear the point on this. This Manchester United eleven isn't that good. Um but if we run through the players, at the start of last season, Gary Neville said if United sign a winger, a striker, and was it a centre-back? A centre-back. United should compete for the league. They bought Varane in, uh, who at the time I laughed at the transfer. And I, I'm still laughing at the transfer because Florentino Perez is a G because you got rid of Ramos and Varane full well knowing their legs were gone. Um, you bought in Ronaldo and you bought in Sancho. Sancho's just not delivered, but for whatever reason, nobody wants to talk about him. Um, I'll talk about him. If you really want to, I'll talk about him. <laughs> Um, but I'm, I'm, if I'm looking at that team right now and the complaint is these players aren't good enough and yes, the complaint, of course, is that Manchester United don't spend the money that belongs to the owners. They're spending Manchester United's money. If we just park that point for a second, do you genuinely think this 11, this 16, 18, this squad is actually just nowhere near good enough to be a Manchester United squad considering 10 years ago, Sir Alex Ferguson won the league with Wes Brown, Anderson, Darren Fletcher, O'Shea, these these other other donors. Half these players, Nubid, cannot chat to John O'Shea. Half these players cannot <laughs> chat to Park Ji-sung. I promise you I'm not exaggerating right now. The levels right now, to compare them to those guys is, is ridiculous. What Fergie managed to do with that team about 10 years ago, 15 years ago, the fact that he managed to win the league with an O'Shea and a Park Ji-sung or whether these players are of that quality at the very least is, to be fair, it's not even a conversation for modern times. The Premier League has changed. It's no longer just United, the King, and how many points by which they're going to win this season, or maybe Arsenal as a challenger. We have incredible clubs, incredible investment. Chelsea, City, Arsenal, Liverpool. It's not that league anymore, right? You can't win um, the Premier League season with half-baked players anymore. Regardless, putting that point to one side, these players playing for Man United, I don't know where the faith in them comes from. Again, I'm going to point to the punditry class. I don't know where the faith in them comes from, other than the crest on their chest, right? A banker at some point in their career said they're good enough to play for Man United. That Essentially, all this 11, minus Cristiano Ronaldo, the rest of the 11, a banker at some point said they're good enough to play for Man United. Now, I don't have any faith in that word. And to be fair, they keep proving you season after season that they're not good enough to play for Man United. So I, any manager who comes in with the belief, and I feel like this is something maybe we can discuss about Ten Hag, 
that you come in, you take a, a session training and believe you can get more out of these players. Why? Based on what, I'm an evidence-based <laughs> man. You know what I mean? My entire career is based on evidence. I'll believe what I can evidence. Why? What have you seen to give you that indication? They, they show you time and time again, season after season, they're not good enough. So this 11 is not good enough. Um, changing this 11, we don't have the personnel at the club to do that. Um, money's being spent and squandered. Like, it's a mess. But it's still not lose to 4-0 four, four to Brentford in 20 minutes, bad. Like, they're, they're, they're not fantastic, but they're still not that bad. Like, yeah, you should finish second. Second. So there's something Second, that's the problem, right? right? Not, not only are these players not good enough technically, they're also the biggest actors and cowards you will ever encounter in your life. To be outrun by 13.8 kilometers by Brentford is just so embarrassing and so it's it's sack worthy. Heads need to roll after that kind of after that kind of result. Not just the 4-0. To be outrun like that. And it's not like they're playing under a manager like Ranić who clearly they didn't like at the end of last season. All right? I don't ever excuse players for not trying hard enough, but it was very clear that Ranić lost that dressing room last last season. You're two games in with a manager where you should be fighting for your Manchester United career game in game out and you put in those running stats. That for me is just mind-blowing. I mean, here's really? what I will say. Here's what I'll say. The Brentford game, the first two goals, um, I was watching it very early in the morning in New York. So the first two goals, uh, if memory serves me well, um, were mistakes, right? Preventable, you could yeah. Al- yeah, you could almost say that like Brentford scored two goals legitimately through their own kind of play and two were just United gifting them goals, right? Is this team um, bad enough to lose 2-0 to, to Brentford? Yeah, I think it is. Look at our midfield. For me, this entire season is about getting the Clazers out of this club. I want by May to be celebrating a new owner. That's all I care about. Um, and whatever happens on the pitch, I couldn't care less anymore. They can't distract me with a win. They can't, they can't make me more annoyed with a, with a loss. Like, I'm, I'm there. I'm at that point where that is the entirety of my focus. Ha- Hamza, though. Hamza, you know it's not going to happen. Don't say that, mate. The only hope that. that United has. The only... <laughs> it's, the, it's the reality, I, right? I, I mean, I, I would agree there. I think club... you're the biggest club, uh, and I hate to say it, but Man United is probably the biggest club in the world, maybe behind Real Madrid in terms of value curve. Value. Like I say, if I went to Pakistan, they know Man United. They might not know Man City yet. You know what I mean? When you go to them kind of areas, Man United is huge. But that's costing you four or five billion. Who's... You've got the sovereign states have gone, Qatar, Newcastle, just got Saudi. So where are you going for that kind of money? I don't see where that money's coming from to buy United. People also, right? Like we talk about protests, but these are people who are going to the game, buying a match day ticket, wearing the Manchester United new kit for 2022-23, and then protesting, then going to the game, then walking out after 70 minutes after they already bought the ticket. And guys... I'm not trying to shame any Man United fan. I'm not trying to shame the way anyone wants to protest. At the end of the day, we all have the same intention. We all have the same hopes and dreams and aspirations for United. But to be fair, I, and again, I can't blame United fans for wanting to go to the game because at the end of the day, for a lot of people, that's an everyday thing for them. That's that's part of the routine. That's in the culture of, of, the, of the Manchester community. But at the end of the day, as long as those things continue to persist, there is no hope in getting these guys out. The only way you can you can mess with these guys is to mess with their money. I know, but to that end, to that end, I think I think it's 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 very possible. Uh, it's very possible to do that, and it doesn't even involve. I mean, um, I've always been I've already been uh, discussing with Nabe my plan for this. Like, it doesn't involve it doesn't involve people not uh, going to matches or not buying kits because I think that level of self sacrifice is just we're not going to get that consistently to be able to it's do. Not going to happen. Yeah. But the match day fans with the kits could do a lot of things that day. Um, you know. 
the second the game can't kick off uh, on time, that matters to owners and TV rights and ads. The second, for example, I had this idea the other day that everyone should be wearing the United kit, but just stick a sticker on when you go into the stadium. So instead of Chevrolet, it says Ford. Stick a sticker on instead of Adidas says Nike, right? Go in there. So every time there's a shot of, this, of the stadium with the full fans, you're advertising a rival of the sponsors that sponsor the team itself. They can't not show you the game. They have to show you the game. Every time there's a corner or a free kick, you're going to see the crowd advertising the opposition. Start doing inventive stuff like this. You have to start messing with the Glazers in ways that are like possible. I don't think like people need to sacrifice games. Stick a sticker on. No, babe, please make this uh, popular on Twitter. <laughs> Stick a sticker on and go into the game and, and pack out that stadium. But pack out that stadium with banners for the, uh, uh, the companies that are our rivals, that are the ones that are sponsoring now. You watch how quickly the Glazers start paying attention. It's quick like this, mate. Again, take the European Super League as an example, right? European Super League, people were discussing this beyond football. Why? Because not many facets in society where you can have people, power, succumb, billionaire, whim that quickly. Take that as an example. Football is the last vestige where people, power matters. Don't let that go. Don't squander that. You know what I mean? Like we could still get these billionaires to commit to our whim, just having a bit of commitment to, quite frankly, uh, disorganizing. You know what I mean? Just disrupting their rhythm. Um, I admire your optimism, Hamza. I don't, I don't know how much I believe in it, but I admire quick, it for sure. It has to start from somewhere. <laughs> quick one as someone that doesn't watch NFL, just out of interest. Have they ever had a period like this with Tampa Bay? Has it ever been like United bad? Well, they won the Super Bowl like two, three years ago. Oh, so this is what I'm saying. I, over there, I think right? if you, exactly. If you really want to understand the Glazers properly, I think it's very like kind of like uh, flippant and lazy to say like they don't care about us or they're just uh, commercial enterprises and blah, 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 blah. I think all that stuff, can, the reason people don't, believe it is because it doesn't have that much uh, evidence or research to it but if you look at their general attitude to the way they manage their teams here in america versus man united it's a very different family a very different approach they're so much more open and involved with the team here and they care and they don't sack a, uh, a general manager and replace him with a an accountant they don't do crazy stuff like this here only in manchester because there is a sport and an enterprise which you can tell they care nothing about and it's entirely entirely commercial based um, and I think if someone said to them that like it's 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 being destroyed, they would agree with you right now, but they wouldn't know how to fix it mm. because they don't know enough about the game or the sport to know how to fix it. Um, and that's where we're we're so that has any coherence or sense. Who do you think called Marko Anatovic? Just want to know who made. I just want to know who made that call. That's my last question. That's a man United like signing right there. I like to hope that's some respect on him. Treble winner with Inter. <laughs> I like to hold that's a butt dial. That's a butt dial. Someone's accidentally butt dialed him and said, like, hey, actually, yeah, sure, you could do. You know, like it's 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 that thoughtless right now. Um scary. Alan Shearer says something really interesting about this on Match of the Day. Um he said that he thinks he's got a bit of conspiracy theorist theory, sorry, that United just made the call to see how the media would react. It's very bizarre that United would go and make this call and say, here's 9 million, and then Bologna turn around and say, no, we want 12, and United go, ah, it's too much for us. <laughs> I think they, and I, I part of me slightly agrees that they waited to see what the media would say. The media, including myself, I was on the show that morning, absolutely battered the signing of Arnautovic, which now I regret, because imagine the Glazers were watching that and they were going, oh, actually, this guy seems to know what he's talking about. Let's throw the remote. How's the Rabiot one still ongoing then? That's even worse. Yes. But you guys got to work harder. <laughs> <laughs> it is just absolute chaos. Uh, Hamza, I'm sure we'll get you on the pod again because uh, you have so much to say about United. And I'm pretty sure you actually have opinions on other things 
uh, outside of United. Yeah, Manchester. absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Today <laughs> was think, just a specific uh, call. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, when you lose four 0 to Brentford, yeah, I mean, you never. If you lose ten 0 to Liverpool, we're probably going to get you on again. Yeah, I'll be yeah, honest. Yeah, yeah. We'll, talk, <laughs> we'll, talk, we'll talk this time next week, mate. Um, <laughs> No, I really appreciate that, you guys. That was that was uh, it was therapeutic for me to get that off my chest. <laughs> That's what this pod is all about, you know. Free therapy. Just wire me a grand later. <laughs> invoice me. Invoice me. <laughs> Top. Thank you, Take bro. Care, um, all right, boy. Take care. Take care. You, See you in a bit. Finish. Red-carded. Red card for Thomas Tuchel as well. Oh, he's still out there. That will go on his record. Well, so we have, of course, probably riled up many Manchester United fans. And to be fair, the plan was not to do that. But these things just happen when times are hard. Uh, which was the case at the end of the Tottenham and Spurs game after Christian Romero nearly ripped Mark Cucurella's hair off his skull with his bare hand. Absolutely love him. Um, but another thing was going on on the touchline, which annoyingly I didn't actually catch until after when I got onto Instagram. Tuchel and Conte decided to hold hands for a little while. And if you somehow haven't seen this, where have you been? They shake hands. Uh, and I wanna, I'm want i going to put this out there. I think this was Tuchel holding on to Conte uh, and then pointing to his eye as if to say, uh, look at me when when you want to shake my hand out of respect. Um, Sharms, you're, you're an Inter Milan fan. You've experienced Conte. You've experienced the chaos. What the f*** is going on here? <laughs> no, bro, this is exactly... This is just standard Conte, man. Like, this is what he brings. He just brings entertainment on the pitch, but off the pitch, he's definitely one that will keep you gripped with his press conferences. He hasn't really done it yet with press conferences yet at Tottenham because uh, he's actually been given what he wants because well, as soon as he's not given what he wants, he'll start moaning and crying. But <laughs> yeah, what a guy. But actually, even though I love Conte, I'm actually with with Tommy Tuchel on this one, man. Like, mm. if you're shaking someone's hands, you, you got you to gotta look him at least. Like, there's no point shaking someone's hands if you're just going to, like, you know, give it, give it like a side look. But at the same time, this is what we needed, isn't it? Like... We don't want to see. Well, I mean, you know, the Pep Club thing is nice. You know, the it's not nice, bro. Say it as it is, bro. That bromance needs to end, bro. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, them two like putting the rock on each other, like blowing kisses and stuff like that. It's just uh, we needed some proper old men used to go to war. Come on, <laughs> exactly. This is the heritage. This is this is football heritage. Yes, sir. <laughs> it's the Z. The thing about this is right. And Leas, I'm pretty sure I saw your tweet on this. Did you tweet something about Klopp and? Pep being pals was that you? Probably a while. I don't. I don't think this weekend, but I've said it before in the past numerous times. What? what okay, so what is the problem with that? Like, why? There's no, why? There's no problem. Oh. There's no problem with two managers enjoying themselves. But I don't like when <laughs> they then the media then real, goes man. on and That's tries to real. frame that as like a huge rivalry. I've seen rivalries <laughs> such as Pep versus Jose is rivalry. That for me is the pinnacle. Wenger versus uh, Fergie <laughs> is a rivalry. This is br- beginning to to blossom into a rivalry. But two managers who are giving each other plaudits before every single game. He's the best challenge I've ever had. He's he's a great friend, a really good footballing mind. Nah, man, I'm trying to hear, uh, I'm trying to hear Jose call Wenger a specialist in failure before the game. I'm trying to see Conte <laughs> dropping Instagram stories about Thomas Tuchel after the game. That's rivalry, man. Come on. <laughs> see, I, I think this actually is funny because I actually think Pep and Klopp are both playing reverse mind games. There, it's not the obvious mind game, but I just think it's a reversing pressure. You're so good. And it's like, I know Klopp's sitting there in his room thinking, 
you little shit. Like, yeah, I know what you've done. <laughs> you put all the pre- you put all the pressure back on me, and now we've got to perform. I still think they're playing mind games. I, I think it's branding. I think if Klopp suddenly becomes that villain, it, it doesn't look, it doesn't stay inconsistent with the rest of your career. That is Conte. He's always been that guy. So I love it. I love it. it I mean, it's, I, it's, it's, a, it's a bit like Ronaldo and Messi. Like Ronaldo sometimes doesn't need to pipe up and act like he's the best in the world, but he seems to feel like he needs to because Messi doesn't say anything. So he, like somebody has to be the bad guy. And I think in the Pep and Klopp thing, Pep's the bad guy to Klopp, Klopp and Liverpool fans. And Klopp is the bad guy to City and City fans. And that's all these two teams care about. I think it's even more relevant now because they are practically the only two relevant teams in the Premier League. I think if there was other teams involved who are in this title race for a little period of time, then you would have this like, like Arsenal Wenger and Bergie giving each other loads of attention meant Liverpool were vexed because Liverpool were like, yo, 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 we're still in this race. Chelsea were like, yo, yo, we're still in the race. So I think there's this like perception that they like each other when I don't think they actually do. Like I think that mm. they, they don't actually, I don't for a second think when Klopp decides to leave Liverpool and Pep decides to leave City, they're going to sit down and have a chat. you got to remember Pep is ultimate football and Klopp is ultimate vibes. That is the polar opposite of each other. There's, there's, they can't sit together and have a chat. And just on your point there, Leah, is your perception of rivalry has been tampered with because the word rivalry actually just means competition for the same objective or yeah. for superiority in the same field. That's what, 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 what you're saying. Is you, else. How you determine the red so <laughs> And you can't tell me yesterday's game. Yesterday's game is not. Whilst it was fun, the beef, but it's not as enjoyable as watching City and Liverpool go out. No, it, no doubt, though. But that's not um, that's not for me. Like where I'm coming from with this, I agree. City and Liverpool are setting precedents that I don't think we've ever seen in the Premier League. But for me, when I think of a rivalry, I think of two teams, two managers, two fan bases who are going at each other's necks. That's the way I interpret <laughs> it. That's the way I've grown up. Again, I, I go. I made a video for BR recently about Jose versus Pep. The the you guys were saying before. Jose basically saying he won a Champions League that I wouldn't even dare to claim. That that for me is like crazy. <laughs> right and he poked, he poked at the, the, the eye. Oh, <laughs> maybe, maybe like rivalry is a strong word. Like in my opinion, I, I see what you're saying. When I think of rivalry, I do think of Pepe Mourinho. I do think of uh, Wenger and Fergie. But then equally, I'm an F1 fan. So I also think of like Schumacher and anyone he's gone against. And those rivalries were a little bit bitter, but not nowhere near like Pep and Jose. Although, weirdly enough, I actually think Pep and Jose get along and would get along a lot better than Pep and Klopp. Mm. And I'm, I'm quite sure on that. I'm quite sure that they would sit together and have a bottle of wine, whereas I don't think Klopp and Pep would ever have a bottle of wine together. I just don't think neither, neither one wants to give any other the extra fuel. Like, why would you go and say something bad about Pep and then let him train with that? You saw what Arteta did with the Ivan Tony tweet. Klopp's not dumb enough to just say something <laughs> that Pep can just put in, do his team talk for him and let plays that good get the extra 10% motivation too. I think they're smarter than that. Also, the flip side of that is Pep is completely aware that Klopp has built the entire mantra of what he's done at Liverpool on passion. If mm. Pep tomorrow turns around and says, these lot are second because they're and we're better than them, you know for a fact that Klopp is going to get everyone riled. Think think to when Lampard and Klopp had that scrap on the touchline. Do you remember? Was, yeah. it, was Lampard at Chelsea? I swear it was, it was Lamp- at Chelsea. Yeah, it was Lampard at Chelsea. Yeah, and Chelsea were dominating the game. Chelsea were on top. Klopp suddenly went, oh, okay. Like that jo- uh, jo- um, 
well, not Josh Denzel, Denzel Washington meme. You, <laughs> <laughs> all of a sudden, it just kicked off and Liverpool oh, suddenly you just started. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mother. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm putting cases on all you. <laughs> To close off today's pod, we are going to do what I hope will become a regular feature, uh, the no-rating shout-out of the week, someone who stood out for you but didn't get the plaudits. Uh, Leas, we're going to start with you first because, once again, there is a risk that you might tap out due to your internet connection, your mic, your camera, your AirPods, something. You look bougie, but you ain't delivering the bougie goods, so <laughs> please, quickly. <laughs> you tell me I got the nicest mercurials on the pitch, but I, I'm delivering zero out of ten. <laughs> there are a few for me, right? There's there's definitely a few um, around Europe in the Premier League, but I think I'm going to stick with one player that I actually think is very, very, very underrated, and it came against my team, and he didn't get on the score sheet, but I personally believe that this guy is one of, if not, now I'll say one of, he's not the best. He's one of the best English strikers in the Premier League. And that for me is Ivan Tony. I think Ivan Tony, you're shaking your head, Nuved. Is that is there a reason for that? I'll just disagree, but continue. <laughs> Go ahead. I think I think Ivan Tony is, is tremendous. I think when you talk about a modern striker, he almost provides everything. He's able to play with his back to goal. Technically very proficient. I think he can get others into play. I think he's excellent in the air. And he's also a good goal scorer. But I think today, or excuse me, this weekend showed the side of his game that people also don't recognize and that it's his ability to to play make. He finished last season with, I believe it was 11 goals, but still finished with with very good assist numbers, very good creative numbers. His, his partnership with Embuemo up front is very, very good. And I look at a team like United who are crying out for that number nine who can kind of get the other players involved. You look at Sancho at Rashford, really struggling to make their marks in these games. I think a guy like Ivan Tony put up front next to them Probably unlocks a new side of their game, but I thought he was tremendous over the weekend. Again, most of the attention is on United, as it usually is. When you lose 4-0 to Brentford, it's always going to be on them. But I thought he was excellent again this weekend, and I expect him to have another great season. I think more teams should actually be in for him when they look for a new striker. Hey, that um, 0.25 non-penalty XG, 59% pass completion rate, screams red flag to me. Come on, man. We talk. We having a hoops conversation. This guy's trying to bring graphs into it, bro. Come on. He's getting the FB ref. He's getting FB ref out. I was typing it in right there. I was like, I've seen some stinky stats on this guy. Nah, man. What's your? You know what? People love XG, right? X retina is the important stat. The eye test, bro. What does that tell you? Yeah, X retina. Yeah. X retina. You know, that's. An, I'm, I'm praying FB ref bring that on, and in the in the little copyright corner it says Leers. <laughs> um, Shams, you got your uh, no rating shout out for the week. Yeah, man, this guy has been getting slandered on on this podcast a few a couple of things. Was it two episodes ago? Big Rom Lukaku, you you, <laughs> you man was saying he's back, he's back to the Farmers League, all that kind of stuff. But eighty seconds it took him, eighty seconds back in the Serie A, got his goal. Our boy is back home, and you know all that slander, the Lukaku slander. Obviously, it is what it is. That meme, by the way. That guy who created that Lukaku meme is like the strongest, most powerful meme since uh, KSI with like Heskey was like, <laughs> this legendary. Lukaku. Sham, um, does that not just validate that it's a farmer's league that he just 
went back in 80 seconds and scored. Just, just well, ask or me the league, the just... league where wait, Bentancur and Kulusevski just came in, and then uh, <laughs> Bruno Fernandez of Sampdoria Udinese. Rabio soon come. Yeah, Sampdoria <laughs> Udinese reject. Bruno Fernandez is like peak of Frank Lampard in this league. So, yeah, it's always they're always talking about it when it's the other way, but when it's the when it's like the the Serie A players coming in balling, then it's like quiet. Hey, I'm I'm absolutely here for the Syria Farmers League stroke, not Farmers <laughs> League debate. I don't. I would just like to clarify. I did not say that. I'm a big fan of Syria. I was going to say uh, until Sky Sports go and purchase the Syria, then we'll hear all your slander. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm I'm back in Syria. I'm back in Skamaka the attacker to tear it up. That's all I'm saying. Um, if he doesn't, I'm gonna just edit this out the pod anyway. So ain't yeah, nobody I, catching I, me. I'm not sure too. about Skamaka in the Premier. <laughs> Shout out Benasir. Shout big out fan. my boy Benasir. Yeah. Yeah. Aren't you backing him just because you're from the same country, right? He's also a tremendous player. No, he's he, he is no, also no, lucky no, enough no, to be no, from the no, same no, country. No. He's yeah, also lucky go. enough there to be. <laughs> he's also lucky enough to be from the same country as me. But you know what? Tremendous player. Listen, quick story here. I got in the cab earlier. My cab driver. I won't tell you his ethnicity. You're going to figure it out in a second. Uh, I sat in. I was like, "Oh, bro, this is X team shirt." He's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." I was like, "Romain Size, what do you think?" Best centre-back ever. So good. He's one of the greatest. One of the greatest. I was like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Benasser <laughs> um, is actually nice, bro. That guy, yeah, everyone a, forgets, a... right? Sorry, this is just a side note. But when Algeria won the AFCON, everyone, of course, gave the, the, the praise to Riyad Mahrez. Benasser won player of the tournament. That's the star boy right there. Bring he's, him to United. He is class, to be fair. How tall is he? Is he like 5'5"? Five, five? Come on. We're talking about height now, bro. Come on. I'm just asking, bro. I'm just asking. I'm <laughs> just asking. Football's a game of the mind. I was chatting about Lissandro Martinez and you were screwing. Now I'm chatting about Ben. I'm just asking for, just for general interest. Maybe I have a height problem now. I just want to know whoever's shorter than me in this world just so I can go, I'm taller than him. Um, <laughs> can you not see the PTSD? The PTSD Lears as well. He went and picked up the big, long strikers. There's no shout-out as well. He went the opposite. Six-foot-four striker. No wonder he likes Nunez. <laughs> uh, Sakib, who's your no shout-out of the week? Uh, I'm going to slightly left because he did give away a goal. Um, Onana at Everton. He came on for about 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes. And to be honest, I haven't seen him play previously. Was fantastic for me in one football manager save, however. Fantastic. <laughs> so I knew who he was. Mate, he came on and... Look like prime Yaya at points, like the long legs, the way he was stretching through the midfield, the goal he actually set up. Um, it was brilliant. And I'm not sure about Lampard's abilities as a manager, I'm not sure about Everton as a functioning club, but that boy has something. And if he, if Lampard, as a world class midfielder himself, can get out of him, I think he could be very, very good. He 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 was fantastic, he was defending, he was attacking. And that long stretch that players Vieira gave you, Torre gave you, you don't see it every so often. And this, this is making me excited. So I do think he could be a real, real asset and has made me slightly more optimistic about where Everton might finish. On the topic of Everton, that's that Lampard shot from the other week's looking decent, isn't it? Hey, my G. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> it, it does it does when uh, there's no Cavaloon and Gordon's a false nine and then Chelsea bid 40 million. For, I actually don't know what's going on. In that's football. crazy, bro. The hey. market is nuts. I'm not going to lie, Chelsea bought in an American owner who's got loads of money and is just basically going, I'm just going to buy whatever. I think he watched Anthony Gordon for two minutes and went, I like his haircut. 40 million. Bang. Um, It's it's a madness what's happening out there. And my no-rating shower of the week is my boy, whose corner I've been fighting for years. My soldier, my troop, 
Granite Xhaka. Put some respect yeah. on my man's name. I'm sick of the slander. I'm sick of the slander. He is, honestly, he is the typical player that you can scapegoat really easily because he isn't good on FIFA. Hear me out here. Because he doesn't have those aesthetic things that football fans have become so obsessed with. He's not so strong. He's not so quick. He can't shoot from 50 yards out every two minutes and he doesn't score every week. Granite Xhaka has just become berated. Every time he has, he'll have a really good game. He will give away a foul on the halfway line. Gary Neville will go, send him off referee 18 times. It's a disc. We know this is what Xhaka does. This is Granite Xhaka in a nutshell. I'm sick of it. He has been unreal since Arteta's come in. And and to be fair, this guy, he was at pretty much the edge of leaving Arsenal. He took remember he took his shirt off and all that stuff happened. He's resurrected his career and no one's even talking about it. He is a genuine soldier, old school baller. Got so much time for him. Shout out Granite Xhaka. Uh, and random fact for you here, my physio and his physio is the exact same. One time my physio sent me his number by accident instead of someone else. So I've got his number and I'm not afraid to text him one day. Can I ask you one little thing, as a fan, <laughs> Go because on. I just need something clarifying for me that's no made no sense. Does Tielemans get ahead of him? And if not, why are they after Tielemans so badly? Because I genuinely think Tielemans is as unagile and does the same thing. And I think Xhaka does it just as well. So I don't actually get that signing because like you, I think Xhaka's fantastic. I think Tielemans is a depth signing because Arsenal will need it at some point because they get so many injuries. Party might not be around for much longer, but I won't speculate too much. But he's also injury prone. Um, and as so that would leave them with playing Erdegaard as a six potentially or Sambi Laconga. So I think depth is needed. To answer your question, would I play Tielemans over Xhaka? What kind of question is that? I'm not playing no one over Xhaka, bro. Xhaka <laughs> for life. <laughs> Through thick and thin. Give me, give me, give me whoever. I'll give me Steven Gerrard back. I'm playing Xhaka. Find a place with Gerrard on the right wing. Granite Xhaka, please. Sven Goran Eriksson, mate. <laughs> Listen, Granite Xhaka, it is a lovely way to end this pod because I imagine through all the episodes we'll do, Granite Xhaka is going to get a lot of shout-outs from me just because people get after him. <laughs> uh, it was an absolute pleasure chatting to you boys. Uh, if you're not huge United fans, and this has been a perfect pod for you to enjoy and get riled up about and, and just laugh at, and if you are a United fan, uh, I don't know why non-United fans would be getting riled up. You would be the ones getting riled up. Um, I am just going to clarify to those that were listening, I haven't eaten in eight hours. This is the second week straight. And uh, Liz's internet connection has wound me up a lot. But I've had an absolute <laughs> pleasure on this pod. I've had an absolute pleasure. So if you are new here, subscribe, follow, drop five stars, and we'll see you next week. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. 
juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.